So this is from a um, recorded talk. The merit that we create, it gives us happiness in the present moment. And um, if that merit gives results um, further than this, then we'll get happiness further on into the next life. And after death, that merit gives its results and allows us to be born in a happy place in heaven. And Papa, this demerit, it's the opposite of this. When we do it, then suffering arises. The result, the fruits of those actions are suffering. And that gives us further results as well. That when we die and we get born, uh, then we'll be born into a place of pain, of suffering. And uh, an easy way to see this is the animals that are around us. They have a lot of difficulty, a lot of ardour in their lives. And just finding one meal, just finding some food to eat, it's very difficult. And in order to have some ease and comfort in their lives, they need to depend upon people, upon humans. So like the pets that we have, the cats and the dogs. And uh, if they don't have people to look after them, then there's a lot of danger um, that comes to themselves through trying to find food. And so it's very tough and very difficult uh, being born as an animal. And there are some great teachers, great monks, who in their previous lives were born as animals. But in the present life, or in their last life, they were arahants. And so one of them, he told a story about how he had previously been born as a bear, and he was very hungry, and he saw some pumpkins that the villagers had planted, and so he went to go eat one. But the owners of that uh, pumpkin uh, saw this bear, and so they got together and got some machetes and um, slashed the bear. And so it's like, even though there's a lot of things in this world, there's a lot of material wealth, but none of it really belongs to animals. And so it's a place, and it's a birth of, that's filled with a lot of suffering. And there are other realms um, of these woeful states um, to be born into. Uh, those of the hungry ghosts, the asura guys, and the hell beings. And these are very painful places. There's a lot of torture uh, being born in those places. And that's the, the fruit of the unskillful or the harmful acts that we do, is that of suffering. This is what comes from akamma that we create uh, through body, speech, and mind, which is unskillful, which is demeritorious. But there's also this meritorious karma, this good actions that we do. These are skillful things, kusala, these skillful acts through our body, our speech, and our minds. And so the results um, that we gain from this is goodness. And this is what happens from the, the merit that we produce. So that these actions of body, speech, and mind that are meritorious are skillful. And these are things which we do. We come together every week uh, to the monastery and we 
um, do these skillful acts, these are good opportunities for us to come and to create merit so that we gain this fullness of heart, we gain happiness of heart. So really our hearts are some things which aren't, they're not biased, they're kind of, they're centered, they're in the middle. When we create skillful acts or there are skillful uh, aramana that we experience, um, these flow into the heart. And so we should try to create skillful deeds. And how do we do this? How do we create merit? Well, it's from our acts of body, our speech, and our minds. And there are many different ways to do this. It's like the generosity that we do, uh, the way that we make offerings to the monks, the virtue and the precepts that we keep, listening to the Dhamma, and then bringing our minds into samadhi, making them still. And these are all meritorious things. And the highest form of merit is that of abandoning the defilements, the kilesas. And because when the kilesas are in the mind, um, then it will constantly be experiencing suffering. And if we can't control them, if they are out of hand, then there'll always be agitation and heat in our lives. And so we can see within households, within villages and countries, um, that if those are very unsettled, disturbed, agitated places, that's because of the achilleses in the hearts of people. That's what produces that agitation. So our fully self-awakened Buddha, he emphasized inner things, inner wealth, inner qualities. And uh, this is what we can call a kind of spiritualism or taking the mind to be the most important thing. So he didn't emphasize materialism, uh, but rather these minds and the training of the mind, these are the most important things. So if, even if we have a lot of wealth, a lot of money, but if we're stingy, then that money can bring a lot of damage and harm to us. So there's one story during the time of the Buddha that there was a very wealthy man who had one son. And even though he had a great amount of money, he was very stingy. He didn't make any merit with it. He didn't donate it. He wasn't generous in any way. And when he passed away, then the fruits of that stinginess arose. The way that he wasn't generous in any way, that gave its results which was that he was born into the womb of a beggar. When this lady became pregnant and she went out to beg, then no one gave her anything. And that's the results of this baby within her womb, previously not having given in any way. And this is quite a strong karma. Before she fell pregnant, um, she used to get enough but when she became pregnant, then she got nothing. So the group of beggars of which she was a part, they were wondering why this was the case. Uh, their leader was confused, because before they used to get enough food, they used to get enough, but now they just got a tiny amount. And so there were problems that arose. So this leader, he separated the group of beggars out into two groups. 
and the group that this woman was in, um, they hardly got anything. So we separated that group out, and then that out, and separated it out further, until they found out that it was this um, woman who had fallen pregnant that was the cause of their not receiving anything. The, the child in her womb hadn't created any goodness. So they got her to just stay at home, and the other beggars, they brought her some food. When her child was born, and then he went out to beg by himself, but he didn't get anything. And so in the end, um, this group of beggars, they just abandoned him. And so he wandered around until he came across the house that he used to own in his previous life when he was this very wealthy man. And he could remember that this house used to belong to him. So he tried to enter into it. And his son, um, in his previous life, who now in the present life uh, was, became the owner of that house, he couldn't remember. He had no perception that this used to be my father. And so he wouldn't let him into the house. The Buddha knew what was going on, and Venerable Ananda saw that something had happened, and so he asked the Buddha, well, what, what happened? And the Buddha pointed to that boy and said, do you see him? And that he used to be the owner of that house. He used to be very wealthy. He used to be the father of uh, the current owner. But because of his stinginess, he got reborn as a beggar. So Venerable Ananda felt sorry for this young child, this young beggar, who used to be very wealthy. And so he told the owner of the house um, the story, so that he was aware of uh, what the situation was, that this beggar used to be uh, his father, and even though he believed what Venerable Ananda told him, he still had doubts as to whether that really was the case. He needed truth. He needed proof. So he asked this child to come into the house and then asked him where certain things in the house were, even things which they had kept secret. Um, this child was able to know where they were stored. And uh, so he believed that this really was uh, his father in a previous life. And then he took the child into the house out of um, gratitude and took care of this child because he used to be his father. So this all relied upon the kindness of the Buddha, uh, that the Buddha felt sorry for this beggar child, that he was in a difficult situation, he was uh, in a place with lots of suffering. And so we see that um, this is what happens when we're stingy. Um, this is the result of being stingy, that we get born into the world in this way. And so if um, people have a lot of wealth, but they don't use that to create any goodness, then the result of that karma is suffering. So we should use the time that we have, the wealth that we have, in this world to create goodness. We also see that in one of the Buddha's previous lives, when he was born as 
Mahachanaka, when he entered into his mother's womb, and um, she went traveling on a very long distance. Uh, but even though the um, situation was quite difficult, still all people who saw her had love towards her, and even Indra came to help. And why is that? It's because the Bodhisattva had created and developed so much generosity, uh, this quality of virtue, that these were already full, these Bharamis were complete already. So it's similar to Venerable Sivali, uh, that he had created uh, so much dana Bharami, been so generous. So when he was born in his last life, then he got so many gains, and that was the result of all the merits that he had created before. And so this is just telling his story in a very brief way. A form of goodness which is higher than that of generosity is sila, is virtue. It's like how we've come and we've taken on the five precepts today. And this brings us more benefit than generosity does. Because one type of generosity is the kind of people who don't have morality, who don't keep the precepts. And another kind, one that's higher, is people who do keep the precepts and are generous. We also see that if people are generous and they have peaceful hearts, then the benefits they get from that is higher still. And the people who are practicing, who are intent on meditation, on cultivating their minds, that when they give, they don't want anything in return. Um, they don't, all, all they want um, is to abandon the kilesas. All they want is to give up the greed that's there in their hearts. And so they're not after the wealth of humans or even the wealth of devas. What they want is the wealth of nibbana. And this kind of generosity is higher still. And so these are ways of cultivating goodness within our hearts. For us, we have respect in the Buddhist religion. And this is a religion of awakening, of knowing, of joyfulness. So we need to try to practice, uh, to develop this mind, to be better, to be higher. And the result of that is happiness. So we should apply ourselves to this practice. Even though we may not have much external wealth, it's still enough. It's still good enough for us to be able to live our lives, to be able to survive. We still have enough food, our shelter is good enough, our clothing is good enough, we have medicine when we need it. And even though we may not have a lot of money, it's still enough. And we can learn to be content with what we do get, what we have and what we receive. Learn to be frugal, to be happy with little. And that brings happiness. We have the happiness within our hearts. We have the happiness of peace that's there. So this is taking the mind to be the highest thing. It's not taking material things um, too seriously or giving too much importance on them. Many people in the world, they think that if they just gain a lot of external things, they have a lot of wealth, they have a lot of possessions, then that will give them happiness. And they think that it really will be that way. 
but it's not correct. And do we see that even if we gain many material things, will that give us just happiness? Does that situation actually exist? Because all the material things of this world, they fall under the laws of anicca, dukkha, anatta, of change, of stress, of not-self. And these are the laws of the world, the laws of the universe. And so all the things of this world, they abide by the system of the world. And that's a system of change, of stress, of not-self. And all material things are that way. That they don't stay around, they're not permanent, they're stressful. And they have this change um, as their nature. It's normal for them to be that way. They can't stay on. And it's not appropriate for us to attach to any of it as being me or mine. It doesn't belong to anyone. It's not the self of anyone. They're just elements of this world. So in order to have happiness... All we need to do is to train our minds so that they have mindfulness, they have wisdom, they've got um, this knowledge which is on top of things. And if we don't have those qualities, then even if we gain a lot of things in this life, we have a lot of possessions, then we don't really know how to use them or to look after them. And it's possible for us to even die because of our wealth. And there's one story of a person who they lived in a house and it was very hot in that house, so they bought an air conditioning unit. But they thought that if they left the the fan or the kind of external part of that unit outside of their house, then maybe someone would come and steal it. So they put it inside their house instead. And it was very hot, so they had this unit on throughout the whole day and night and um, it was running on oil. And uh, so it kept running until it exploded, and uh, the oil caught on fire, and um, the house caught on fire. And the owner of that house was a very stingy person, and he kept all of his wealth within the home. So when the house caught on fire, he managed to escape, but then he was attached to his wealth and concerned about his wealth, so he went back in to get it, and he ended up by dying in the flames. And so why did he die? It's because of his attachment, because of that clinging, and that's what brought him this danger. So when people cling to their possessions, um, then this brings a lot of difficulty. And we also see that the money and the wealth that we gain, then that gives one kind of happiness, but it also brings us danger. Because all people, they want these same things. And so people come to fight over them, they struggle for them. And these are things which we just depend upon temporarily, we keep temporarily. So we should come to know them, we should come to study them, to contemplate them. So these minds are things that we need to train, we need to contemplate, so that we know how to look after our wealth, and how to protect our wealth. 
The Lord Buddha taught us to develop these hearts so they're better, so that they're higher. And uh, when his son, Rahula, asked him for his inheritance, the Buddha asked in return, what do you want? Do you want worldly wealth or do you want the wealth of the Dhamma? And Rahula could see that the wealth of the Dhamma was better, so he asked for that. And so the Buddha had him ordained as a novice, and in not too long he attained arahantship. And then he gained this wealth of the Dhamma fully, 100% within his heart. So for us, we're lucky. We've been born and we've met with the Buddhist religion. We have this faith and belief in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And so we should develop these hearts so that they gain this wealth of the Dhamma within them. We gain as much of this wealth as we can. Because we've already studied, we've already gone out and worked, we already have an occupation, we have duties that we need to do. But the important thing is that we need to be constantly developing our minds so that they become noble. In order for the mind to become noble, it needs to be imbued with the Dhamma. If the mind just has these defilements within it, and then that will drag it down, make it become gloomy and sad, and it loses all of its value. But when we train this mind, when we cultivate it, then it gains value. And so this is something that we should do every day. So how do we make our minds better? How do we raise their level? Well, the first way is through generosity. The second is through sila, through virtue, and the third is bhavana, meditation, bringing our minds to peace. So chanting, for example, and uh, even if we don't come to the monastery, we should still chant at home, and we can practice there within our houses. And then we meditate, um, so that our minds do come to peace. And we can do that within our homes as well. We can make our homes into monastery uh, through keeping the precepts. And this is a kind of a, a lay monastery that we can create. And then we'll have happiness there within our homes. When we keep these five precepts, it's like we're staying under a tree uh, which has many leaves. And so when it rains, those leaves offer us protection from the rain. When the sun shines, it offers us protection from the heat of the sunlight. And the suffering that we experience reduces. Even though it may not have flowers or fruits, it still offers us that protection. And um, during our lives, everyone's life, they all need to struggle with many things. We will need to go through a lot of suffering just within every day that we live. And so we need the Dhamma there within our hearts. We need these wholesome qualities there, this quality of patient endurance, for example, to endure with all of the sense impressions that come in through our eyes, our ears, our nose, our tongue, our body, and which flow into the heart. And there are some of these impressions which we like, 
and there are many which we dislike, and we need to endure with all of them. With both the things that we like and the things that we dislike, really need to set our hearts in this way. And sometimes there are a lot of these sense impressions which arise, and they can be really strong. So we need to really establish our minds well, to gain control over them, and to forbear. We also need to sacrifice and to share with each other. And through doing this, through our generosity, then the world becomes a happy and peaceful place. And so be intent in creating goodness. And um, this will be able to give us a form of refuge um, from the suffering of this world. And really try and put an effort, and you try to meditate, to cultivate samadhi. And through this we gain peace, we gain happiness in our hearts. And even though we still live our lives in this world, even though we may still have families, a husband and a wife, or uh, children, um, we can still live in peace. And we are supporters of the Buddhist religion, people who help to nurture Buddhism, to take care of it, and form a part of the Buddhist assembly, a very important part. And so this fourfold assembly is that of the bhikkhus, the bhikkhunis, and the lay men and the lay women. And all of us need to help each other out. And so we do this. And we are generous. And then we come to practice the Dhamma as well. To sit in meditation, to cultivate our minds, to be training our minds. So we see that we consider this mind to be mine. So why is it that it doesn't stop thinking? Even though we want it to stop proliferating, still it goes on. And why is that the case? Well, it's because it's accustomed to this. That's what we've been training it to do for a very long time now, is to think on and on. And so we need to come and train it anew, so that skillful states arise within it, and so that it can come and grow peaceful. So we develop these skillful thoughts, and skillful speech, and skillful acts. And we develop generosity, and we develop our hearts. Because if we don't train these minds, then they can bring us a lot of harm. And the untrained mind will always get lower and lower. It will always try to find a kind of a lower place to flow into. It's just like water, that when it rains, and that rain pours down onto a hill, uh, then the rain, it, all that water, it goes into a stream, and that stream flows down, throws down the hill, and it goes into the sea. And so it always flows to a lower place. And so our hearts are like this as well, that if we don't train them, they'll always be flowing in line with the sense impressions that we experience. They'll always be following them without stop. 
And the thing which is able to stop the mind from chasing after these sense impressions is this quality of sati, of recollection. And then there's sampajanya, this all-round knowing. And these are two dhammas, two qualities, which bring the most benefit to us. And so these are qualities which we need to come and train ourselves in to develop. And so even though there are many methods of practice, and there are many different places which teach us meditation, if we're going to collect all of these together, what it boils down to is having a lot of mindfulness. There are four bases, bases of this mindfulness, the body, the feelings, the mind, and dhammas. And these are four ways which we can recollect, four ways which we can establish our mindfulness. So taking up this body, for example, and we recollect what is this body like, this body which we attach to as being me and mine. And previously we never had any mindfulness over this body. Our minds and our thoughts were always sent out of the body. And so we need to train to bring it back. Whether we're standing, walking, sitting, lying down, whether we're drinking or eating, um, speaking, listening or thinking, we have mindfulness there with those activities. And when the mind is imbued with this mindfulness, then it will come to stillness and to peace. And in that state, we'll be able to see the body as just being a body. It's not a being, it's not a self, it's not other. And this knowledge will arise clearly, knowledge into the body. You see that sometimes there's feelings which creep up within this body. And uh, we understand that if we don't have a body, then there won't be any feelings in the body either. These feelings of being tired, of pain, of aches, they just won't be there. And what about the feelings that come up in the mind? How do they come up? Well, they arise due to the clinging that we have. So we need to train ourselves to have a lot of mindfulness. And we can do this by knowing the breath, the in-breath and the out-breath, using this as a foundation for our mindfulness. And this is what will bring the mind to peace and to respite. Respite from the hindrances. So we should contemplate this body. Is it me? We see it's a collection of elements of earth, water, fire and air. It's sitting here and it depends upon this breath. It depends upon this oxygen which is constantly flowing into it. But this mind still comes and attaches to the body, as being me, as being mine, and it's clung on already. And with that being the case, then greed, hatred, and delusion arise constantly. If we can control these kilesas through virtue, then they reduce. But we also need to bring up a lot of mindfulness as well to reduce them further. We must look at these minds themselves and know what they're thinking about, whether it's good thoughts, whether it's bad thoughts, whether they're meritorious or demeritorious. Sometimes there's greed, hatred and delusion present within them, and sometimes they're absent. And so what is it that gives rise to these defilements? We should know that. We should know how they arise. And see the mind as just being a mind. It's not a being, it's not mine, it's not other. 
If we attach to this mind as belonging to me, then the kilesas will arise. These kilesas, they arise due to attachments. But if we don't attach, if there's no clinging there within the mind, it doesn't latch onto things as being me, as belonging to me, as being self, as being other, and that's when the mind is at ease. So we should train ourselves to contemplate and to have these qualities of mindfulness and all-round knowing and to always be imbued with these qualities. The last level of the four foundations of mindfulness is that of Dhamma, of being mindful of the Dhamma, that all things are the Dhamma. But this is a very refined level of practice and it's something that we're often not able to keep up with. We're not there yet. So initially we should take up the body and use this body um, to train with. And so this is the way of developing our mind to be higher, to be better. We know what's going on. We have mindfulness, we have wisdom there. And so when we're finished with our work, with our duties, then we come to train our minds. And this training of our mind is what will make them better, what will make them more beautiful. So may all of you be intent in this way, and may all of you grow in the Dhamma.